So we'll be in Hebrews chapter number 8. And so we've been going through the book of Hebrews for the last several uh, weeks and just looking at some different things. And uh, as far as uh, Hebrews is a great book because it kind of is focused a lot on uh, to those Jewish believers with a lot of, they're still clinging to a lot of Old Testament rituals and what we call the law, the Ten Commandments, those things. And, and I believe, personally, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It doesn't flat out say who it is, but I kind of tend to think it's Paul just by the style of the writing. is uh, kind of helping them understand that Jesus is greater than the law, than Moses, a lot of different things here. And so I want us to look at some things here just in our time tonight, and uh, just in the idea of continuing this study with Hebrews. And uh, we're going to read not the whole chapter it's not a very long chapter anyways, but I'd like to begin reading in verse number 6, and we'll read verses 6 down through verse 13, okay? Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says, But now hath he obtained, is he speaking of Christ, okay? Now he or Christ hath obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant, the first covenant is talking about the law, the Ten Commandments, had been faultless, then there should have been no, been no, not been sought for the second. Finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Verse 10, kind of a big verse. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities, Will I remember no more. In that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. All right, let's pray. We'll get into this. Father, we do thank you for the day, this time we can be together. Lord, it's just, I know, Lord, it's just another day, but Lord, to be able to celebrate a new year, God, we truly thank you for that. Lord, just to... Look back and think of your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for another day of life and, Lord willing, another year of life. And I just pray that you be with us tonight, Lord. I know people have things on their hearts and on minds. People are busy. People are working a lot of things. But, Lord, I pray in these moments as we start this new year and we just kind of start everybody kind of getting in the flow of things, Lord, may we not forget, hopefully, the reason why we stopped for a while. Lord, may we love you more this year than we've ever before. Lord, we thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, and looking at this particular chapter, and all the chapters are interesting, but there are a lot of these chapters all go back to the idea of this. The idea is to see Christ, see Christ, see Christ. And, and that's really what I want us to do in this year, and I talked a little bit about it last year, is to get, at, get out of the mentality of, I love Jesus. But get into the mentality of, I love Jesus more. You say, more than what? Whatever you want to plug in there. Whatever it is in your life and in my life that makes us 
maybe love Jesus, but we love other things a little more. And, and, and really no pun on this because of the year, but I really want us in the idea, if the, the more I can see clearly Jesus and God's love for me, the more I will initially or in response love him more. I'm finding out more in my life this whole thought. You ever sometimes just want to beg people and even beg yourself, man, I need to love Jesus, I need to do this for God, I need to do this for God. And the more I'm studying Scripture, especially as we're in Revelation in the Sunday school class, the more I'm realizing this. The more that I see how much God loved me, it's not a problem for me to return that love. See, a lot of times I feel like in myself and also in other people's life, we're just like, man, if we would just love God more, if we would just do this more. And I realize the more that I see His love for me in my life, man, it's just a natural return to want to love Him. And what we've been looking at, these different things in these different chapters, and the idea, if you see here back in verse number 6, it's speaking of Jesus, it says this, but now Jesus, or now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better or a new covenant which was established upon better promises. So tonight, kind of the title we got for this is Better Promises. And looking at this, you got the Old Testament, you got the law, you got all these things that they had to do, and then you have Jesus coming and dying on the cross, and now salvation's through Christ, and it says what we call now the new covenant. So that's the new covenant. He's trying to work with them and help them to understand that this new covenant, that Jesus coming, what it does for us, it gives us a whole better set of promises. It gives us better promises, it says here. And there's some things here that I want us to see to be a help. Now, I do understand in this, he is speaking a good bit to the children of Israel. Uh, in that, I believe as children of God, as those that are saved, there are definitely things that we can extract from that and apply to our lives. I don't think it, when it says Israel, it means there's nothing for us there. I definitely think we can apply these things here uh, in our life. But if you hold your place there, the idea of this better promise or better covenant, if you flip back to the book of Jeremiah, if, if you can, if you want to, I'll try to throw the verses up there on the screen for you. But the book of Jeremiah, and I want you to think about this idea of this new covenant. And the idea of Jeremiah chapter 31, verses numbers 31 through 34, okay? Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. And this is speaking of, even in Jeremiah's day, of what we called a new covenant. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. Okay, verse 33, it says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts or on their minds, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Alright, so, and just looking at that passage, it sounds a whole lot like what we read in Hebrews, right? It sounds almost identical word for word of this idea of better promises. But you say, what does it mean as a Christian? What does it mean to have better promises? Phil, we're saved. We don't live in Israel. We didn't have Moses there. 
Well, the reason is, is because in our lives, a lot of times, even though we say that we trust in Christ for our salvation, a lot of times we get very works-oriented as far as, i got to do this if I'm really a Christian. i got to do this if I'm going to heaven. i got to do this, do this. But what are the better promises that come to us now that we don't have to work our way to heaven? I know you've probably heard me say it at least two or three times in the last month. It's this idea of a lot of religions, a lot of beliefs have the idea of God on top, all of us on the bottom, and we're all working our way to get to God. And it's not the mentality. But the idea is that God has come to us in the form of Christ, that we don't have to work our way to Him. He's already come down to us. But what does it mean? But what are these promises that makes Jesus greater than even the Old Testament or in the law? Okay, The first promise I want us to see is this, is the promise of grace. The promise of grace. Now, if we look at these verses here, I want you to see something, and, and just to give you an idea, six times between verses 8, back in Hebrews, verses 8 and verses 13, God says these words, I will. Now, what does that mean? That's grace. He's saying, in spite of you, in spite of this old covenant, in spite of you failing of upholding a lifestyle that makes it where you can go to heaven. He says, I will do these things. And so if you see, I'll just go over them. He says it six times. In verse number eight, it says, I will make a new covenant. You go a little bit further down. It says in verse number 10, he says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Go down to the middle of the verse. I will put my laws into their minds. A little bit further down, verse 10, I will be to them a God and they shall be my people. Uh, You go down a little bit further, verse 12, I will be, what, merciful to their unrighteousness. And then even the last one over there, it says in the end of verse 12, the verses, the words are swapped, but he says, will I remember no more, remember their sins. So you say, what does that mean? The number six in the Bible, all numbers have a meaning. Number five is a number of grace. The number seven is a number of perfection. Uh, The number three is always used for like the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The number six is number used for man or the depravity or the lack of being able to be acceptable in God's eyes. So it's the number of man. So six times, which is the number of man, and what man can't do, God says, I will provide grace. What man cannot do. Jesus is greater. Why? Because his promises are greater. What is promises? That in spite of the brokenness of man, I will make a new covenant in you. I will do these things. Because you think about it, the Old Testament. You ever sometimes stop and read? Especially if you read through your Bible in a year and you, you start reading about Especially you get to Leviticus and Numbers and all these things they have to do that back then. I mean, it almost seems a lot of times that the Old Testament was almost like a yoke of bondage on them. Because what did the Old Testament, in particular the Ten Commandments, did? It demanded perfect obedience. You demanded perfect obedience. But this new covenant in Christ is this. It's not what we have to do for God, but instead it's what God has done for us. And I love that idea. That's what grace is. If grace if grace from God is you doing something for God, it's not grace. Does that make sense? To get the grace of God in your life, if you have to do something for that grace, it's not. It's not grace. Uh, the little acrostic for grace is what? God's riches at Christ's expense. A good little acrostic for the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace is when you receive something you don't deserve. Uh, probably everyone in here uh, with Christmas uh, definitely felt like you were giving grace <laughs> a lot to other people in that. You gave gifts to people that didn't necessarily deserve all the things that you gave them. And what does the Bible say at salvation? It is the what? The gift of God. It's getting something that you do not deserve. And this idea of just the grace of God in your life. And he's saying here, this better covenant gives grace. The Old Testament, you do see grace in the Old Testament. But you do not, it's not the main focal point. I mean, just to give you an idea, in the Old Testament, if a child cussed at, defied their parents, in the Old Testament law, they would take the kid out in town and stone the kid and kill the kid. Now, if that's true, I wouldn't be living a lot long. I wouldn't have made it very far in life. You know, in the Old Testament, they had all these rituals and things, man. Because why? Because the Old Testament law said, if you, I'm going to show you how much we're not holy like God. It demanded perfect obedience. And I'm so thankful that Christ sees me, sees my sin, and still says, I will give you grace. I mean, it's we're not very far in the new year already. I dare say, at least I know I have. Ever, you know, we probably sinned at least once this year already. <laughs> you know, probably going to sin a whole lot this year, just because we're humans. And you've heard me say it. I am thankful there's more grace in Christ than there is sin in me. There's enough grace in Christ for 2020 and today and the rest of my life than there will be sin in my life. God's grace will never run out. And that's the funny thing, because I'll just be honest with you. I'll have grace with people. But it runs out. You ever have those people in your life that just it seems like they're very short with you? Like they don't have a lot of grace for you. And people that you have that natural tendency, when they mess up, you just seem, you just seem to be a little more sharp with them. Or quickly with them. And other people you feel like you give a little bit more to. Honestly, if we're, we're truthful, we're probably shorter with our families. And probably more lenient with other people with that. I know that I'm guilty of that a lot in my life. But here's why. Why am I shorter with my kids than I am with somebody else's kids or somebody else? Because at the end of the day, I'm operating in my grace. My grace runs out. Your grace will run out. Why? Because with my kids, I want to look at them and say, you know better, right? <laughs> you know what thus they feel. You know, I mean, you know what that's supposed to mean. You know, those people you work with, your coworkers, you know, that you work with, that maybe they work under you or work with you or your boss. And then maybe you meet someone from a different department and they come over and you get frustrated, but you don't get as frustrated with them because like, well, they must do it differently over there. Well, in your house, you're like, this is how we do it. You know better in that. And God says this, you're a child of God and yet you still sin and go your own way, but my grace will never run out. See, my grace will run out. I hate to say that it will. My mercy for people, my grace for people, my patience with people. It has an ending point. So does yours. But God's never never does. And that's why I have to operate in that mentality if I have to live every day channeled through the grace of God. You ever just like go through a day and you're determined it's going to be a good day? I mean, bless God, it's going to be a good day. And it's just like everything in the world just is like, oh yeah. You want it to be a good day? I'll test that thought real quick. You know what's really being tested? It's being tested of whether or not you're going you're to rest and work in your grace or you're going to say, God, I need you to 
You give me the grace, give me the wisdom, give me the patience, give me the endurance to make it through this day. And so it's kind of the idea of grace. His grace never never runs out. A lot of verses that are great talking about uh, this, you know, this, we're not going to look at all of Romans 7.14. Romans 7.14 actually says, by the way, the law is spiritual, but men are carnal, we're sold under sin. Romans 7.14 says that. Romans 8.3 says that the law actually what? Where the law was weak through the flesh and that Christ didn't do that. But there's something we need to understand is this. The Old Testament, the law, all those things, Jesus doesn't find any fault with the law. The fault is found in me. Here's really what the Ten Commandments, if I could sum it up like this. Here's what the Ten Commandments and the law and all the thou shalt and thou shalt not. Really, here's the purpose of them. It's really to show us on our own merit, understand that, outside of Christ, how far short we fall of the holiness of God. That's really what it is. It's really not a checklist. Okay, thou shalt not kill. I didn't do that today. Okay, good. But then what did Jesus come back and say? But if you hate your brother, you've already basically killed him in your heart. All right, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, didn't do that. But then Jesus says, but let me tell you, if you look on a woman and lust after, you committed adultery with her in your heart already. And so the law is not a checklist of I can do this, I didn't do this, I did this, that. It's basically to show us that we are to God inferior. But that's why we need the grace of God and the love of God and the salvation in God to help us with these things, to help us in our weakness uh, with those things. All right. Second thing I want to see is this is another thing that the better promise is this. It's the promise of a inner an inner change, if you would, or a change on the inside. Okay, let's look at verse number 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me people. Now, remember we read something similar to that back in Jeremiah 31 just a little bit ago. But if you notice something here, there's an inward change that happens. I can't judge the motives of somebody. You really, we can guess. But I really can only judge the actions, right? And by the way, everybody loves to run to that judge, not unless you be judged. Okay, to understand that correctly, man looketh on the outward appearance, the Bible says, but God looketh on the heart. We can just judge what people do. By their fruits, they should know them. So we can judge that by that. Um, a fear that I have is, or concern, I guess is a better way of saying it, is for people to make a, quote, spiritual decision, sometimes emotional decision, for God in their spiritual life, and it doesn't seem to last. You know what I mean? It's the idea of, oh man, I just want to get saved. I, mean, I prayed and got saved, I'm saved. But but three weeks later, they're back living the same life and they never see it. It's just kind of like it was a speed bump from the way they were going. Now, God knows if they're saved. I don't. And you don't. But I think sometimes we look at people and I tell you, I'm concerned because they're like, oh, back when I was 17 or 7 or whatever, I said a prayer. Can I tell you, my, my faith in going to heaven is not based on a prayer. My faith in, is, is based in Christ. I trusted Christ as an 8-year-old boy. I'm trusting Christ as a 41-year-old guy right now. I'm not trusting some prayer by my bedside. That's the moment I believe I, I got saved. That's the moment I believe Christ saved me. 
But you know, it's the idea, I'm trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm not trusting in a prayer. Because some people say, you ever talk to somebody about something, and they and you're saying, hey, let me tell you a concern I have for you. Man, this isn't working really good. And they're like, just tell me what i got to do. Tell me what i got to do to get it right. They don't really care about changing. They just want to get it right. You know what I mean? They just want to make everybody be happy and go back. And see, what the Bible teaches here, when he says this in this passage, if you notice, in the middle of the verse, he says this, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. What is that when he makes the law there? He's talking about his word. See, here's the thing is, when Christ saved me, and when Christ saved you, He gave you a desire to know Him more. He gave you a desire and a love for the Word. Now, I'm not saying that, that love and desire doesn't wane back and forth. I think we all struggle with that. You know, that's another great thing about a new year. We start making New Year's resolutions. What are we basically saying? We're making new promises that we're going to do. And normally, what are those promises? What? To do better, not do worse. No, uh, very few people, I think, say, you know, I'm going to have this weight loss promise that I want to weigh the exact same I weigh right now. In fact, if I gain a couple pounds, that would be a great promise. No, no one says that. It's always promises to be better. I want to I be better with my money. I want to be better with my diet. I want to be better with my anger. I want to be better at extra. Whatever it is, it's always to be better. And this is what Jesus is saying here in this passage here through the, through the author of, of uh, Hebrews. He's saying that when we truly come to know Christ, instead of having like Moses, what did Moses and children of Israel? They had what? The finger of God, if you remember in Exodus correctly. It says, and God wrote with his finger on tablets of stone the Ten Commandments. Look what he says he wants to do here. God says, I want to write on your heart my law, because if I have your heart, I have you. I want to put my law in your mind. It's what you think about. It what guides you. It what helps you. And the idea of that really being on your heart, it will affect everything. You ever sometimes just somebody comes to your mind, maybe something they're going through, and it just lets you start crying or maybe you get angry or whatever. Why? Because it's on your heart, your emotions, and it's in your mind. Why? Because that's consuming you right now. You don't have to actually see it. Your eye does affect your heart. You don't have to see it. But if, once it gets on your heart, it's hard to get it off. And really the, think, the idea of here of understanding is that God says, but if I can just have your heart, if I could just have that way of having the heart of you. You know, and I know I said it earlier. I was thinking about this. Another idea with grace is this. What does it say in John, First John? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us, right? Now, does God love those people that are lost? Yes. So the people that are lost can go through life with their sin and reject Christ, right? But he still loves them. Can I tell you something? I'm saved. If Christ didn't love me first, I still would have rejected him. That's the grace of God. If he didn't love me first, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. There's nothing in me outside of God demonstrating his love of wanting to change me on the inside that would ever make me want to pursue him. There's nothing. Even as great as God is. That's why I was saying earlier the idea of this. I think the mentality is this, and I, and I, I know what we mean by this. There are people that I meet, there's people that we see here sometimes, I would love to see them just get in and be more faithful to church. But can I tell you something? 
them coming to church is not the end goal. You say, wait a minute, them coming to church is the ultimate goal, right? No, it's not. The ultimate goal is for them, just like my ultimate goal should be for me, is to glorify God and to love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. Because coming to church is a place that what that is kind of, it's kind of heightened there a little bit because we talk about God, we sing about God, we study about God. And that's the mentality. And I know people say, well, you don't have to come to church to be a Christian. That's right, we get that. I understand that. I don't, I, but here's my thing. And, and even if I wasn't the pastor, you're like, well, you've got to be here. Um, I would hope that I would want to come to church because I want to come to church. I don't have to come to church. You know what I mean? There, there have been many days that I had to go to work. Some of you are like, yeah, I did the first one today of this year. You know, I had to go to work. But if you ever had a job, even if it was briefly, that you actually wanted to go to it, you enjoyed it, you're like, no, Phil, I've never experienced that in my life. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I've had times where I've enjoyed going to work in the jobs that I've had over my life. I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed being there and getting paid was awesome, you know, because I got paid to do something I love to do. I feel that like that now, to be honest with you. Not every day is a high day, to be honest with you. But for the most part, you know what? I love the idea of what I do and the idea of getting paid for that is great. And then you've ever been that way where you got a job that you do that you love and getting paid for is like, this is awesome. I've always thought of that at professional athletes that, you know, they get paid to play a game that they love. You know, and that's why sometimes it drives me crazy when they get kind of greedy. You're like, you know, I would just play the game for free, you know, or, or just to get to go do all, you know what I mean? Those different things. And the idea here is this, is that God doesn't want to clean the outside of me up. And that's our problem, if we're just honest. When we meet people, we want them to clean up this if it doesn't match what we think it needs to match. They don't exactly look like us, don't exactly act like us. If you clean this up first, but here's the thing, if a person cleans this up, and God never gets to the inside, it doesn't matter, it won't last. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He says, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is full of death and bitterness and dirt. You know, uh, we, we've eaten a lot over these days. I, I, I kind of feel ashamed how much I feel like I've eaten and the junk I've eaten. And even and this my mind, I've even done this sometimes well. I can eat this because on Monday coming up, you know, it's going to be a new day. I joke with Rachel, I can't tell how many times she's like, well, this is our last supper. And I'm like, yeah, that's the last supper, the last seven suppers. You know, this is the last time we're going to do this. Because we're like, you know what? We want to be healthy. We want to do these things. I get it. But God is more concerned, honestly, with who I am on the inside than what I am out here. Because if God has my heart, if God has your heart, and he's writing his word and his thoughts and desires for your life and those responses on your heart, it'll take care of the outside. It'll, it'll take care of that. So the promise of interchange there. I like the next one, number three. It's the promise of sins forgiven. And hopefully this is not something that we get over quickly. But you see in verse number uh, 12 it says this, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. See, there was really not a lot of mercy in the Old Testament when they committed wrong. Remember, I talked to you about the things they would do. And he says, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So here's the better promise. Old Testament 
if you did something, you were marked. If it didn't require your life, if you did something bad, but it wasn't so bad it required your life, you were marked in society. You were always known for what you did. Husband, wife, those different things. Children, those things they did. If someone was a thief and stole from somebody, they had ways in the Old Testament of marking you that anytime someone saw you, you know what they do? Oh, they did that. And their past never died. And this is where the promise of Christ is greater. And to me, it gets me excited when I think about Christ's love for me. Look what he says when we have this salvation. What does it say? It says, he will have mercy to our unrighteousness. But look what it says at the end. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. God is someone that I I have a hard time understanding. How can you be all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving, but you choose to forget all the wrong I've ever done you? To me, I, I can't wrap my brain. Like, I can forgive you. You know, people say, we're supposed to forgive and forget. Well, first off, I think you can forgive somebody. Forgetting, I think it's hard to do. Can I explain to you really what I believe is the right mentality of that whole forgive and forget? Forgive means to be forgiven. You're released of that. But to forget means this, is that I will not bring it back up and make you pay for it anymore. I may never forget what you did, but I'm not going to make you continue to make payment for that wrongdoing. I'm not going to bring it up. It's not going to be the axe head that's buried in the ground, but the handle sticking up that I run to and grab whenever I feel like I need to get you. I think everybody in relationships has that button you can push. You know what I mean? Like, well, if they really make me mad, I know I can go right, boom, there. I think we all do that. All know that. But see, that's really not forgiveness then. Several years ago, I was trying to help somebody that it really got done wrong back when we were in Tennessee. And I really felt this guy's pain. And, and he told me finally in his frustration, he says, I think I can forgive, and it was a friend of the guy, I think I can forgive him, but boy, he's going to have to earn that forgiveness. And I said, stop. Forgiveness is not earned. Forgiveness is given. I said, he will never meet your requirements for the pain that you've been, the pain that's been inflicted in your life. There'll never be enough given to you to earn forgiveness. It doesn't. Because if forgiveness has to be earned, we always raise the price of it. We'll constantly raise the price of it when there's something else we need. I said forgiveness has to be given. Mercy has to be given. And the idea of forgetting and moving on says, that's not the trump card I'm going to whenever I need to. And the idea here is the promise of sins forgiven. These Old Testament people are marked. He's telling them this. It'd be like somebody marked for doing something wrong and me going over and saying no. And that's why he uses always the idea of this. What does he say? By give you a robe of righteousness that he gives you. Gives you a, washes you. What does it say? White as snow? What is the mentality with that? Because it covers any of the markings of your past. There's a song that I really like. I heard a choir sing several years ago. It's called Jesus Buried My Past. And the problem is I want to go dig it up a lot. And I want to dig it up in other people's life a lot. But the idea here is with Christ. And this is why you say, Phil, who, who really, what, what's the big point in really shoving this down our throat? 
that Jesus forgives us and that Jesus forgets. Because one, it's a miracle by itself that God can truly forgive me. It's truly a miracle that God can forget and chooses to forget what I've done him wrong. But it's an example of what I should be striving to do in lives of other people. You will never have peace in your life if you keep score. Never will. You'll never have peace. You can't have peace in your life where you're constantly feeling where people have to earn their forgiveness and getting back right. We won't do it. It's impossible. And the last thing I want to see here, and I'll just mention it, and we'll read the last verse here, is the promise of eternal blessing. You see verse 13, it says this, In that he saith the new covenant, or the new, he says, He hath made the first old, or actually the word old there means obsolete, and now that which decayeth and waxeth old or obsolete is ready to vanish away. It's the idea here of this promised blessing that God has this new covenant that there will be no ending. Here's what I mean by that, and we'll be done. Old Testament covenant, it had a expiration. It had a shelf life, if you will. Old covenant was until the promise of Messiah came. Then the old covenant would die. What this is saying is, as long as Jesus is alive and well, this covenant that he has with us will never die. That's why they call it everlasting life. That's why they call it eternal life. Because what it says Jesus is what the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why Job says, a great verse in the middle of the tribulation, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that's why the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter is so important is because of this. If Jesus was dead, this covenant would be dead. But because he ever liveth to make an intercession for us, we said that a few weeks ago, this covenant never dies. And you say again, what's the main point with all this, Phil? The main point is for us to understand something. It ultimately is this, is that Jesus gives us better promises than anything we can look at in this life. And as we enter this year and we're into this year, I just I tell you what my prayers for me and my desire is to just see how much Jesus is better and the promises he's better. You know, you can go out here and find better jobs and better churches and better programs and better cars and better money and better everything. But there is nothing better than the soul satisfaction for your eternity and to live your life than Jesus. There's nothing better out there. The problem is everybody in life is tempted to do something. That's why the person on drugs is on drugs. Because they feel like there's something better. Then that will give the ultimate promise. That's why that person going through whatever other addiction, I just picked that one, whatever it is, they feel like there's something better. And what Paul's saying here is that with Jesus, there's nothing better. He gives better promises. And may we love him and see him a little bit better this year. Appreciate y'all being here. Let's close in prayer.